Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's holiday season and you don't know what to get as a gift or a stocking stuffer? Well, today's sponsor, Manscaped, has the tools to guarantee that you'll give the best stocking stuffer or win this year's white elephant competition. It's called the Performance Package, and inside you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Liquid Formulations, as well as two free gifts. So be the ballsiest gift giver this holiday season with Manscaped by using code DNVR for free shipping and 20% off. That's your first pitch. Now let's play ball. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast, brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. Strava CBD coffee will improve the quality of your morning since it's rich in CBD and CBG and can be delivered to your doorstep every two, four, six, or eight weeks. Their CBD-infused coffee has me feeling fantastic since it can help with chronic headaches, joint pains, and even more than that. Plus, you get zero coffee jitters if you want three or four cups a day, which is typically what I like. And now you can get 25% off your first purchase when you use code DNVR25 on StravaCraftCoffee.com. I'm your host, Patrick Lyons, and on today's DNVR Rockies podcast, it's somewhat of a hodgepodge where we've got a mailbag, we've got some questions from our wonderful DNVR members, but we also have some other business to get to. There's not a ton of news right now in Major League Baseball. There's a lot of minor league signings. There's not much coming out about CBA negotiations, partially because there aren't any negotiations. Both sides are most likely taking a break until we get into January. And my take is we might even wait until mid-January until either side really meets with the other party. But some of the insights that I thought I had were, in fact, incorrect. Because you may have noticed that in addition to some of the minor league signings, which is very normal, there have been an influx of players going over to Japan and Korea. You may have seen that former Rockies outfielder Mike Talkman signed with the KBO's Hanwha Eagles at South Korea, Korean baseball organization. He's going to get a million dollars guaranteed to play over there. Talkman, of course, being, well, not quite a number four outfielder anymore. He was with the Rockies. He was with the Yankees and, and Giants for a period of time, but now really seems to be in that fifth outfielder mode, a quadruple A player who can't quite find a regular playing time with one team. So he's going over to Asia. John Gant, who pitched pretty well with Minnesota as he came over in the J.A. Happ deal from St. Louis, and he signs in Japan with NPB's Nippon Ham Fighters. No, they're not the Ham Fighters. They're just the Fighters, and they're owned by Nippon Ham. But that's a common mistake, and it's a fun one to make to think of them as the ham fighters. But Gant goes over there to Japan, Talkman, South Korea, and those are, you know, again, they're not moving the needle. If the Rockies went and signed them, you'd be pretty happy that, hey, you know what? Now we've got somebody to battle for the fifth spot in the rotation with Rollison, Lambert, and Feltner. In fact, probably the odds-on favorite to go into the season as the fifth starter. Mike Talkman, if he's brought in, well, we've kind of been down that road before, but certainly, you know, there's going to be a battle for that fourth or fifth outfield spot. You may even be thinking, hey, there may even be a trade made somewhere along the way, maybe using some of the upside of a Hilliard or Tapia, Garrett Hampson, Jonathan Daza with his defensive prowess. You say, hey, you know what? Maybe they can make the most of what they have asset-wise in this signing of Mike Talkman. But as it were, these two players are going over to the Far East. And my initial instinct was, is this somewhat of a harbinger of things to come? Is this somewhat of an indicator of what's happening right now with the CBA and players are a bit worried, kind of like Julio Franco was after the 94 player strike, who he had a very good year with the White Sox, and yet he ended up signing over in Japan for guaranteed money because the 1995 season was up in the air. Now, 
they were still able to get in most of those 162 games. And I'll get into some of the details and what I think may happen with this lockout. And if we will miss any games, we'll get to that down the line when we get to our mailbag officially. But Julio Franco was hedging his bets, and he did end up going to Japan, much like John Gant went to Japan, Mike Talkman went to South Korea. So do we have a similar situation being almost a devil's advocate? And so my initial instinct, ultimately, I've decided was wrong. This is not any kind of real harbinger because every offseason, players of this caliber end up going over to Japan and South Korea and some to even the CPBL, the Chinese Professional Baseball League. These are common, you know, players that you think, hey, this guy should have an opportunity to play in the majors, might even fit in on the Rockies somewhere. But you know what? These players ultimately are saying, I want guaranteed money. Because if you aren't even arbitration eligible, you're essentially making the league minimum, maybe a little bit above that, but you're making a little bit more than half of a million dollars. Now, Mike Talkman could go out and be fantastic, be what the Giants were able to get from some of their platoon-type players, right? Lamont Wade Jr., Darren Ruff. Those guys, as fantastic as they were to that 107-win San Francisco Giants team, they're going to get maybe a slight raise over the league minimum from last season. And so that would have been Mike Talkman's case going into 2023. So now he's going to get himself $1 million guaranteed. So ultimately, I don't really think these signings or the quality of players. Freddie Galvis was another one. You thought, wait a minute. Uh, he, he was destined for Coors Field in many ways. He would have been right in the Rockies' price range. But alas, he's over in Japan finalizing a two-year deal, not even a one-year, a two-year deal. So at the end of the day, I, I really don't think this is an indicator of much of anything. Now, believe it or not, there are two teams right now in Major League Baseball that do not have a manager. Yes, they don't have a manager. Their, their teams have been making moves. One of the teams has been making moves. The other team has really just been talking about getting rid of more players which is okay if you don't have a manager because you don't know who's going to be there on opening day regardless. So that, that would be the A's that we're talking about who lost manager Bob Melvin to the Padres or really just gave him up to the Padres. And the athletics are talking about getting rid of, you know, a lot of their players, Matt Olson, maybe not Matt Chapman just yet, but certainly Matt Olson, their pitchers, Chris Bassett, Sean Manaya, Frankie Montas, they're, all on the market right now. And they don't have a manager. They've been tied to two of the candidates that the Mets have interviewed already in Joe Espada, Houston Astros bench coach, and Matt Catraro, who's the Tampa Bay Rays bench coach. Hey, you want to pull from a great organization right now. Everything the Rays touch seems like it's turned into gold. Kevin Cash wins back-to-back -back American League Manager of the Year award. It's not a bad idea to go ahead and bring in his bench coach. A's are also looking at Mark Kotze, their third base coach, and Will Venable, Boston's bench coach. My money's on Mark Kotze. I think he's going to be the perfect fit for them when it's all said and done. As for the Mets, hey, they went out and acquired a handful of players, right? Mark Canna, Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar, Max Scherzer, but they haven't acquired a manager yet. Kind of strange, kind of lets you know who's running these teams right now. It's the front office. They're really the ones pushing the buttons. We've talked about this on the podcast before that a manager is now field manager, but more of a person manager, managing the personalities in that clubhouse. So Matt Cotraro, Jose Espada, our numbers one and two. I think Joe Espada is going to be the man who gets the job with the Mets. But the third kind of wild card candidate is Buck Showalter, a guy who has managed in New York. It's been... Mm, close to 30 years at this point, hasn't managed since Baltimore in 2018, but he's been to the postseason in just about every stop along the way, except Texas. But his predecessor, Ron Washington, about four years later, did go to back-to-back -back World Series. So he laid the groundworks there. And yeah, four years later is a long ways down the line to really try to give Buck Showalter any credit. But in his previous stop, he was a manager for three years with the Diamondbacks. And after the 2000 season, they let him go. And what happened in 2001? Diamondbacks won the World Series. 
What happened in his previous stop? New York Yankees was let go after making the postseason in 1995. Thanks, but no thanks, even though you got us to the promised land for the first time in 16 years or so. He gets let go. Joe Torre comes in, and the Yankees win their first World Series in quite some time. So he's got a track record of being the bridge to the next step. Hasn't really quite happened for Baltimore, but nevertheless, he would make for an interesting candidate. I think a spotter for the Mets, Kotze for the A's, is how it's going to go down as far as managers go. Michael Franco and D. Strange Gordon go to Washington on minor league deals. And Milwaukee signs two interesting players, two first basemen, Tyler White. Okay. But the other guy, really, I just want to tell you his story. Jonathan Singleton, 30-year-old first baseman who hasn't played much in the majors, has a very interesting story. Was a top prospect with the Phillies in 2011, was actually acquired by the Houston Astros at the beginning of their tanking process when they dealt away Hunter Pence to the Phillies for four prospects. You might not remember, but there was a very brief era in which Hunter Pence was with the Phillies. They overpaid to get him and ultimately traded him away and did not get back very much. So Singleton comes over, signs a $10 million guaranteed deal before he even made his major league debut. Really the first of its kind. There were incentives in the deal that could have brought the contract up to about $35 million, but that never happened because Singleton in 2012 failed two separate marijuana tests, was suspended for 50 games later, got a 100-game suspension. He sat out in 2019 and 2020 after being released by the Astros, and yes, after he got paid by the Astros. Picked up the bat again in 2021 in the Mexican League and had a huge season. It was only about 189 plate appearances in the Mexican League, which is similar to the Pacific Coast League or what's formerly known as the Pacific Coast League. It's now AAA West. It's a very hitter-friendly league in the Mexican League, so you know I'm sure those numbers were inflated. But hey, you take a flyer on a guy like that and maybe something good happens. And something good always happens when you're subscribed to the dnvr.com because our members we love taking care of you you know that you get a price break on all of our tailgates you probably saw pictures from yesterday's big victory over the detroit lions really sitting good right now the players talked about it being a postseason type game and you know what they came through in a big way and they've got another one coming up this Sunday against the Bengals, and we've got another tailgate for all of our members. You know you do get a price break on those tailgates. It's located at 18th and Federal, right behind Sports Fan. You get sexy pizza, all-you-can-eat sexy pizza, and all-you-can-drink Breckenridge Brewery. You can also grab the bus, a.k.a. the shuttle, from the DNVR bar. You show up at 10 a.m., hang out with your larger beer. If you're a member, you always get the supersized beer no upcharge on that at all complimentary for you for being a member then if you're at the tailgate the shuttle will get over there at 11 a.m the bus will take you back after the game as well so you don't have to worry about parking you don't have to worry about uber surge pricing it's one of the best deals and experiences you can have and you can get your tickets for this sunday's tailgate at dnvrlocker.com you know it's just 50 cents for your first month on the dnvr.com I'm producing as much content as possible with articles coming up every couple of days. I've hit you with three in the last five days, and I've got several more on the way covering what I think are the three P's of Rockies coverage. You've got a little bit on the past. You've got to have a lot on the present. And once the regular season comes, I can't wait to unveil what we've got in store for you there. And you also don't forget the prospects. You've got all those three things that we're bringing to you. We have the best Avs, Nuggets, and Broncos coverage that you can find. Rams and Buffs. College basketball season is really starting to gear up. So make sure you're subscribed to the DNVR.com. And if you want an annual membership, you get a free t-shirt from DNVRlocker.com. And there aren't those supply chain issues right now because we are stocked right now at the bar. That's our little clubhouse that's got all the goodies there. You know that if you come down to the bar on the corner of Colfax in York, we've got happy hour from 3 to 6 with drink specials, appetizer discounts, 
We've got our members-only Discord. That's where all of the questions from this podcast were generated from. Big shout-out to Matt, Zach, a.k.a. Got Zach, JD, and Nathan for coming through. And they've got some baseball questions, some Rockies questions off the dome. And I got to answer them. And that's an exclusive feature that we do have if you are a member to the DNVR.com. And the official beer of DNVR is, of course, Breckenridge Brewery. They're also our official seltzer. That's right. It's Good Company Hard Seltzer made by Breckenridge Brewery. We've got it on the corner of Colfax, New York at the DNVR bar. And you can get it at King Supers, Costco, just about anywhere. They've got an awesome 15-can sampler as you figure out what your favorite flavor is going to be. The cool thing is they've donated profits all summer long to the National Parks Conservation Association to help prevent forest fires. That's Breckenridge Brewery's Good Company Hard Seltzer, an easy choice for a great company. And football fans, I need to talk to you once again because I know we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. Seriously. New customers can bet just $1 on either NFL team to score, and when they do, you win $100 in free bets. It's that easy and rewarding. DraftKings customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, and best of all, you can deposit, withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR. Bet just $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code DNVR this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Well, after nailing UFC 269 and Charles Oliveira taking down Dustin Poirier, I'm back to try to do it again for, to my count, would be the fifth week in a row. I'm going with Kansas City over the Chargers. It's the Thursday night special. Kansas City, of course, is the favorite, so there's no surprise there. KC is going into SoFi Stadium having won their last six, and yes, I know five of those were at home, and the Chargers did win in Kansas City back in week three. But you know what? Kansas City has been rejuvenated. They're back to being the force we've known them to be over the past few years, unfortunately. And what you're going to want to do is give three and a half to get plus 100. I might even go as far as giving four and a half, depending on the payout on game day. But my DraftKings Sportsbook pick of the week is Kansas City plus three and a half over the Chargers on Thursday night. Again, got to thank Matt, Zach, JD, and Nathan, some of my favorite members that we have chopping it up on the Discord. Next time it's out there, you can even go ahead now if you listen to this and you're on the Discord. Go ahead and put a question in for the next mailbag. Whenever I may do it again, I'll make sure to file it away and get to it in the next mailbag. But the first question Will we lose any games in the regular season? Well, as I said in the opening part of the first segment, I don't think we're really going to get any discussions until possibly the middle of January. One of the negotiating tactics is to not be the first one to say anything, not be the first one to pick up a phone. So once we hit January 1st, it doesn't necessarily mean, all right, cool, we we got through the holidays because... Let's face it, you're still probably hungover on, on January 1st, which is a, a Saturday this year. And so, hey, you might as well take Sunday. And all right, so January 3rd, really, we need to get back to the negotiating table. But who makes the call? And what are the machinations that really go into that? So we might even wait a little bit longer than that. January 3rd maybe is when Tony Clark or Rob Manfred go ahead and, and pick up the phone and talk to their favorite member of the press to – get some things generating and get the ball moving that way before the real first proposal by the other side. February 1st seems to be a logical deadline with pitchers and catchers reporting about two weeks after that. Once there's a clock involved, that's really when we'll start to see the best work come forward from both sides. I mean, think about your days. Some of you are, are going back to school. Got to give you props 
for those of you trying to get your education, getting a new degree, whatever it may be in adulthood. But you know, sometimes when you've got that deadline, whether or not you procrastinated or not, you crank it out because that's the time that you've got and that's what you get done. And these negotiations are going to be very similar to that. I think we are going to blow past that February 1st deadline. Unfortunately, I'm now beginning to think that spring training may be impacted. It may be a little bit shorter than normal, which does not bode well for the pitchers. Spring training is six weeks for the pitchers, not the position players. That's why, that's why pitchers and catchers report first. Well, really it's why pitchers report first. And frankly, they need somebody to catch their pitches. So they need those six weeks to get ready for the next six months. And I think they'll probably get spring training done in maybe three weeks, four weeks, if they have to, and expand rosters, which is what they did in 1995, the last time we had a work stoppage like this. So you could see upwards of 28, maybe even 30 players on rosters to allow for teams to carry some extra arms to eat up those innings. So when Kyle Freeland goes out there for his first two starts, and you know you didn't see him go five innings in Scottsdale late in March, you're going to see him get five innings in the middle of April because he's still ramping up his work. And you know that's not a really good recipe for keeping pitchers healthy, but unfortunately, that is the sport right now. But ultimately, I don't think we're going to lose any games. I think if opening day is delayed, that's open. That's April 1st this year. I think if opening day does get delayed, they will end up making up those games. They do not want to lose a single game. They'll figure it out. And the one thing that the pandemic really taught us is they can get the deal done. They can get it worked out to the point in which they can have X amount of games over a certain period of time. Now, that could mean the players giving up a lot more of their off days that they are probably going to negotiate for having a couple more because the season is a grind. It is a marathon. And that's before you even get to the postseason. And so I think they'll make special exceptions to get this season in so that there's 162 games. But ultimately, I think they'll be able to make it up if we have opening day move back just a little bit. Now, here's something to keep in mind is that players, they don't get paid. They're, they're, they haven't been paid outside of the postseason teams, and that's, that's just all bonus checks, right? Bonus games, bonus checks. But they haven't, play, they haven't been paid since October 3rd because that's when the regular season ends. And so they know how to manage their money in such a way that, oh, no, I'm not getting paid over the next four months, whatever it is. Well, that's fine. You, you, you got paid a year's worth of salary over the course of six months instead of 12 months. And so let's say we do have opening day move back a week or even two weeks, whatever it may be. It seems as if the players are going to be the ones maybe suffering a little bit more than the owners, that the players' finances could be a little shaky, right? They're not in trouble, but shaky, especially if we're talking about a week or two weeks. But as far as negotiations are concerned, the owners are going to be whispering and, and know in certain terms, look, you've got bills to pay. And gosh, it would be a shame if this dragged on until May or until June. And can you really afford two months of, of no paychecks? They've got them over a barrel. Except here's a thing. And this is something that came out in a Ken Rosenthal article. I know I had heard it on MLB Network Radio, most likely from Mike Farron, because Mike Farron is one of the most in-touch guys with what's going on on the inside of baseball. Mike Farron does a fantastic job. And so the players have been squirreling away their acorns. They've been, they've been hiding them away for the last couple of years in preparation for a potentially cold, cold winter. So basically in the past, players usually gave up an amount of their licensing checks leading up to the end of a collective bargaining agreement. So basically, hey, we'll take a little bit less right now so that if, God forbid, there is some kind of work stoppage where we miss some time, hey, we, we won't be getting zero money coming in. We'll get paid something, right? This is, this is very a common procedure 
uh, amongst amongst all unions. However, starting in 2018, the players actually took a more aggressive policy on this. They actually voted to withhold their entire licensing check, all of it, all of it, squirreled it away. And so between this policy of withholding the entire check, coupled with some of their their other partnerships that they've had, it basically means that the Players Association have financial preparations at historic levels. So that is not going to be any kind of bargaining chip for the owners to use against players to say, and again, they're not going to say this, but to act as if, look, you guys need this money in the next couple weeks or the next couple months, whatever it is, because the players don't need it like maybe they would have in the past. So let's get a deal done, guys. Let's just get a deal done. Next question from that DNVR Rockies mailbag. What kind of impact does Clint Hurdle have on the club long term? Go back and listen to Friday's podcast. You can also watch our live in-studio recording with Drew Goodman on Thursday. Podcast dropped on Friday. But the news came out on Thursday afternoon officially that the Rockies had signed Clint Hurdle as a special assistant to the general manager. No, not the assistant general manager. That's an important role directly underneath the GM. He's a special assistant to the GM. It's actually what Vinny Castilla does in the clubhouse with the organization. You're almost a jack of all trades. It's it's not so much a day-to-day, you're putting in 80 hours a week in the office to do your job. And so what Clint Hurdle is going to be doing is He'll be working on some player development stuff and the MLB draft, which this is really where Hurdle's impact is going to have on the club in the long term. Because since Bill Schmidt took over as the general manager, it was Schmidt's job to run the draft. And once he ascended to general manager, there was no one to take over his position. And so Hurdle's going to fill that gap. And I think that's an important role. And the downside of this or the pessimistic way of viewing it is, you know, this wasn't what we were hoping for a year ago when the rumbling started to begin about Clint Hurdle joining the organization because those rumblings were joining the team as a team president, a role that we haven't had since the unfortunate passing of Kelly McGregor in 2010. And so he's not joining the team in that capacity. That was, of course, Greg Fiesel more of a, of a businessman than, than a baseball man, and he'll, he'll admit it himself. But it's still welcoming to have someone like Clint Hurdle around the organization. We've talked about it for a couple of years on the podcast, and, and Drew Goodman himself really elaborated on how important it is for the Rockies to get in touch with their past, with their great past, their successful past. Yes, we know they've only gone to one World Series and they got swept, and They've only had five postseason appearances in 29 years. They've never won the NL West. Okay, yes. In the, in that way, they've they've definitely been unsuccessful. But they've had successful players, and they've had certain successful runs, and they've had successful periods in their organizations where they were doing things better than other organizations. And so those folks from that time period, particularly that 2007 through 2009, and those really good players that they were able to develop, they've got a lot more to give. And so I really recommend you go back and listen to Friday's podcast if you haven't already because Goody went off with a, with a list of about four or five different people that the organization would benefit from bringing them in. And he even almost goes through and explains their role, what it would be in the organization. And so that got me pretty excited to think what it would be if someone like a Juan Pierre were to come back to the organization. I'll leave it at that because you got to go back and listen to all the names that he dropped. One thing that I need to drop and I need to mention right now is that Ball is now hiring in their manufacturing plant in Golden. They're looking for production technicians. And you can read the full description and apply at jobs.ball.com by searching Golden. Now, this is a position that's on the front line of the aluminum beverage can production process at Ball's plant in golden they're paying 27 dollars 
per hour with increases potentially at six, 12 and 18 months on the job. You also get exposure to a lot of other manufacturing opportunities in the plant as well. Now, this is a position that includes comprehensive insurance, active the day of hire, 401k for retirement, stock purchase, ownership program, and even potential for an annual bonus. So text GOLDEN to 77222 and you'll get linked to open positions. You can also go directly to jobs.ball.com and search for GOLDEN. That's jobs.ball.com and search for GOLDEN. We already brought you Breckenridge Brewery's Damn Good Beer, and now we're delivering to you Damn Good Beef. So good that you can now get Hassle Cattle Company Wagyu Beef at the DNVR Bar. That's right. We couldn't resist putting Hassle Cattle Company Beef in our burgers, delicious with all the toppings you want. Get it down on the corner of Colfax, New York at the DNVR bar at any of our watch parties or just hanging out on a random Tuesday evening. You can do it with the finest beef around. It's HassleCattleCompany.com. And you know what? You can stock up your own refrigerator or freezer with all the Wagyu beef, bacon, steak, you name it, with their special holiday discount right now at HassleCattleCompany.com. H-A-S-S-E-L-L, CattleCompany.com. Use code DNVR15 for 15% off your entire purchase. And if you're really loading up, which you might as well for the holidays, especially if you got a family coming over that's ready to dine, guess what? Orders over $200 do get you free shipping. So use code DNVR15 at HassleCattleCompany.com for 15% off your entire purchase. It is the holiday season, as mentioned, and you know that if you're struggling to get a gift or a stocking stuffer, you can turn to Manscaped since they've got the tools to guarantee you'll give the best stocking stuffer or have the best white elephant gift to give. It's called the Performance Package, and inside you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker, Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Liquid Formulations, a couple other goodies in there as well. Be the ballsiest gift giver this season with Manscaped by using code DNVR to get free shipping and, more importantly, 20% off. Wrapping up the mailbag before we get to a new segment, a new little feature that I'm going to be working on. I love to hear the feedback on it when you hear. I'm going to do some biographies of some interesting players around the Colorado Rockies organization, some Hall of Famers you might not be familiar with, as well as some Colorado historical folks that have had impact on this state in a major way that you may not have even realized played baseball right here in your backyard. But one of those mailbag questions, again, thank you for everyone who participated in this. What relievers should the Rockies target once the lockout ends? Well, Mark Melanson was number one on my list. He's off the table, signed a two-year, $14 million contract with the Diamondbacks, even has a buyout for a third year, so he'll probably make a little bit more than that. But I think the most obvious solutions are probably not necessarily ones that are going to come back to Colorado. Now, listen, if you are a pitcher of any established ability, you're going to have to be offered a lot of money. Colorado's going to need to show you the bag if you're going to sign to pitch half your games at Coors Field. That's the bottom line. That's one of the reasons why the Rockies were so aggressive with the quote-unquote Super Bullpen. They had to spend over $100 million to bring in three you know, really good relievers. They were really good relievers. I, I thought the contracts were maybe a, a little on the high side, but again, they had to be aggressive at the time. And so even if you got them for a little bit less, we still would be sitting here talking about what the Rockies got for $75, $80 million. And you still would have said, oh, super bullpen, not quite. So it's going to be hard to bring in anyone that's coming off of a solid year. So you got to look for pitchers who had an okay year or pitchers who really just need a second chance. Now, on the high end of the spectrum, Michael Givens, hey, come on back, Michael. We know we traded you to Cincinnati at the deadline. You got it done. You were closing down games there in the second half of the season for Cincinnati, but he pitched really well in 2021, was arguably their best reliever. Didn't look so well in, in 2020 when they got him at the deadline from Baltimore, but we can we can throw that pandemic shortened season to the side. Michael Givens is welcome in the Rockies bullpen, and I think, in fact, you sign him, you might as well just give him the ball in the ninth inning. What about Adam Adovino? Another logical choice. Had okay numbers in Boston after really 
struggling in 2020 with the Yankees. Now, Otto had a 268 earned run average in the first half. Seriously. In the AL East, no less. Don't ask about the second half. But Otto is welcome to come back to Coors Field as well, and I think he would be a good fit. He, he fits the profile. He's got the track record in Colorado at Coors Field with this organization, and he's on the older side. He's no spring chicken anymore, so I think you could get him for a nice two-year deal to come back, have his swan song, and you know maybe maybe refine that fountain of youth, if you will. What about Greg Holland? He's his numbers were in the mid fours with Kansas City. I don't know how much of that was maybe him being gassed over the long haul of 2021 when compared with 2020, but his numbers were pretty consistent throughout the season outside of a really bad. September and October, but he looks like he still has some gas in the tank. What about a guy like Colin McHugh from Tampa Bay? He's a little older. You may not have remembered his stint with the Rockies, but he really started to find himself once he went to eh, not the Mets so much, but more when he was with Houston, did a good job out of the bullpen. I think he made a couple spot starts with Tampa as well. And so I think he could be a good fit. Now, Everyone I name at this point going forward, they've got some warts, some more than others. Now, Brad Hand and Chris Martin don't have terrible warts, but those guys would probably need to get paid, you know, a good six to eight million dollars a year at least. Brad Hand, maybe even more after having a, a so so season last year. But those two guys are going to find a good market. Final three names I want to throw out there Stephen Brault. Regis graduate, so he's got that Colorado pedigree. He was let go by the Pirates. Still has somewhat of a future as a starting pitcher, so that might not work out in the bullpen. He's a left-hander. Brad Boxberger, a name you might remember from the Diamondbacks, he had an okay year last season. And Alex Colomay, a guy who does have closer experience. Again, none of them really get you terribly excited, but you could have said the same thing about Daniel Bard, and you saw what he was able to do in 2020 and at times in 2021. So that's really what the Rockies are going to look to do. Try to just bring together as many of those type of names as possible. I would love to see three guys that you can say, all right, hey, maybe you'll have something with one of these three, but it's got to be at least three. Matt asks about the best food at Coors Field, Biker Gyms has to be the tops. Their hot dogs are ridiculously good, and they sell out, so that's that's all you need to know. Helton Burgers are good. I'm not a big burger guy at a baseball game. It's really hot dogs, brats, sausages, and, and nachos even. The Monster Chicken Nachos are fantastic at Coors Field. Sometimes they can have crazy lines, so you got to get there early. And eventually at some point this season, maybe if I, if I lose a bet at some point, and if you call it out on the uh, in the Discord or even on Twitter, I may need to try the Rocky Mountain Oyster Sandwich. I've never had Rocky Mountain Oysters before. I don't want to start now, but uh, you got to do what you got to do sometimes, right? Do it for the content. What impact could the Rule 5 draft have on the Rockies going forward? Well, right now, as we know, long story short, they've got a weak farm system. So... Who's going to pull something from out of their farm system? Now, last week was the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. You know, they had a couple guys taken here and there, or former Rockies players. You saw Vince Fernandez move around again from San Francisco, I think, to Oakland. But that's the minor league phase. That's If you can even get a major leaguer out of the minor league phase, you did a really good job. And the guys that, that the Rockies ended up losing were not, players that they're counting on going forward. They're guys who used to have some upside, but they're not earth-shattering. And and typically, we don't see earth-shattering talent in the Rule 5 draft. And I think with the CBA being worked on right now and some potential anti-tanking measures coming, I think we might even see even less Rule 5 draft picks because of the implications of keeping a guy on the roster for the entirety of the season. And, you know, a lot of times you may need to bury that player on the back of your bench, the 25th man previously on 
the roster, now the 26th man. And then the next season, you could sneak him down in the minor leagues again for a little bit more seasonings and say, hey, look, we just acquired an asset that really didn't cost us very much going forward. If you are using a spot on your roster for a future asset that's not helping you now, well, again, depending on these anti-tanking measures, there really might not be teams wanting to take that risk. But if we're looking at players that the Rockies did not protect, Willie McIver is atop my list of players that could be scooped up by another team, played for a brief amount of time in AA. So he's got a, some upper-level experience. He really is more of a Jason Kendall comp, if you remember him from, from quite a while back. He does have a lower hit tool than a Jason Kendall, so he's not going to be a perennial 300 hitter, but he's a guy that could steal 15 bases. That's legit. And could be a big time leader of a pitching staff, and and you know that's the upside at least. So we'll see what could could happen with that. Also, had a question about a franchise tag or what Ken Rosenthal threw out there as a franchise icon. Is that something that could help the Rockies? I don't really know if that is something that's that's realistic to help some of the smaller market teams hold on to their players. You know, the qualifying offer is something that allows teams to get compensation for losing their player. It doesn't necessarily allow them to keep them. Sometimes it allows them to keep a player for an extra season, one, but not terribly. And in fact, one of the ways that the this franchise icon tag could be used is almost a combination of how Ken Rosenthal explains in his hypothesis and what the qualifying offer is, where you say, okay, look, we're going to offer you what the average of the top five salaries at your position is for one year. And the team only pays 75% of that. And there's some pool of money, maybe from the competitive balance tax that some of those larger market clubs have to pay into. Well, that's going to make up for the difference to keep that guy around. And so it's it's going to be interesting. It, there's always new rules that come out and, and always new uh, business practices that come out of every CBA. I think now because of this lockout and this work stoppage, people are going to be focusing on it a lot more. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's it's fun as as much as it could seem to be a headache to have to read almost legal documents, right? And 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 bone up on what the previous CBA looked like. It's also an opportunity to learn something different, learn what's going on behind the scenes and why do teams do what they do and, and trade players when there's still two years left before they become free agents if you're a small market club and why do they extend players where they, they give them guaranteed money for two or three years in exchange for two years of what would be that player's free agency. Like You can figure out a lot of really good business practices that – Unfortunately, you may not be seen with your hometown club, but you know other clubs are doing that. And the CBA is one of those ways that you can learn more about the inner workings of the game. And if they can figure out a way to, to reduce tanking and, and allow some of these smaller market clubs to keep their big-time players and not have to trade them, I'm all for that. So for the final segment, I am going to talk a little bit about Charlie Hayes, one of the first players on the original Colorado Rockies 1993, the inaugural club. He was taken in the expansion draft that was held November of 1992. And he had an, an interesting career. And you might even say his career is still going as his son still plays in Major League Baseball. There's a good chance you already know who that is and who I'm talking about. But I, I want to dig a little deeper into his life and the lives of a lot of different people in and around the game of, of baseball. Some you know, some you might not know, some you're going to be glad that you now know. And I think learning more about Charlie Hayes is going to be a good thing. And I want to get your feedback. Patrick at the DNVR.com or on Twitter at Patrick D. Lyons. This biography is taken from the Sabre Bio Project. So Sabre, of course, is the Society for American Baseball Research. It's an organization that I've been a member of for a few years. I actually sit on the board for our Denver chapter. It's really the Rocky Mountain chapter because we represent Wyoming and parts of New Mexico, 
Montana even. I'm not even sure exactly uh, through what far ranges of the Rocky Mountain region we represent, but we have one of the best chapters in the world, not just in the country. Sabre is international. And again, we are one of the best in Denver, not because of me, far from it, but uh, because of our members, you know, our, our current president, Paul Parker, who was the Rockies team historian, and our, our soon-to-be president, Dan Evans, former general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers for a few years, an assistant general manager of the Chicago White Sox, and now the guy who heads up the Field of Dreams site. He's there with uh, Frank Thomas, who, who owns part of that site as well. Manny Randawa from MLB.com. Thomas Harding is always there. And so there's just so many people. I feel bad because I want to name just about every member because they've had their hand in the Rockies world or in the baseball world. Scouts, former players come. We, In fact, we've got a, a really cool dinner scheduled on Wednesday at 5.30 at Blake Street Tavern. Show up if you'd like. It's a free event, just like all of our luncheons. We always get together on the third Wednesday of every month at 12 o'clock at Blake Street Tavern. It's it's absolutely fantastic. You, you'll never know who you're going to meet, what books or bobbleheads are, are getting cleaned out of somebody's closet that they're giving away or selling it for a, a small donation to the organization. But Sabre is a fantastic thing. And there are free resources too if you don't have the money to join. Again, we'd love for you to just come down to the luncheons on the third Wednesday of every month just to hang out with us and hang out with me and say hi. It's, it's a really fun time, but they have a Sabre bio project where they're currently working on trying to write a biography for all 22,000-plus players who have ever played even a single game in the major leagues. And so this is taken from Charlie Hayes' bio from the Sabre bio project. I should also mention, too, that I've taken some artistic license, moved some things around, excluded some things, written some of my own words all throughout this, but nevertheless, here's Charlie Hayes' Sabre biography. Third baseman Charlie Hayes was a solid journeyman. He played for seven teams over 14 years in the majors from 1988 through 2001. He had a good glove, strong arm, and some pop in his bat. His best offensive numbers came in 1993 with an expansion club, Colorado Rockies. Yet the moment for which he's best remembered came as he caught a foul pop to end the 1996 World Series. Quote, I walk around and people still talk about that catch, said Hayes during a visit to Yankee Stadium on Old Timers Day 2013. You'd think it would go away, but it hasn't happened yet. I'm honored to be a part of that. Just being part of the Yankee tradition is unbelievable. This is proof, end quote. Charles Dwayne Hayes was born on May 29, 1965 in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. He was the oldest of four children. Their mother, Lutheria, Hayes was a cook in a nightclub. She was one raising all four children. The only parent. Little Charlie was only four years old when his father died. Now, young Charlie Hayes' sports hero was the great basketball player, Julius Irving, Dr. J. Quote, I always wanted to play basketball, but baseball came easier, he said in 1993 in an article from the Sporting News written by Tracy Ringlesby. The previous year, he noted, quote, it was baseball that worked out for me. My mother worked hard, but she helped me reach my dream. If I needed, say, a new glove, she went without things so I could have it. At age 12 in 1977, Hayes was a member of the Hub City team from Hattiesburg that represented the South region of the United States in the Little League World Series. Hattiesburg, with Hayes on the mound, lost to El Cajon, California in the first round, but Hattiesburg eventually won the consolation bracket. Hayes attended Forest County Agricultural High School in Brooklyn, Mississippi. He was a two-sport star there. In baseball, however, his feats led the school to eventually retire his number. As a senior, he hit 530 with 14 doubles and four homers. And four homers. He was also 8-3 and three as a pitcher. He was named to Mississippi's All-State High School team, a team that also included Marcus Lawton, who played 10 games for the Yankees in 1989, and his younger brother, Matt Lawton, you may have remembered, particularly with the Minnesota Twins, played in the majors from 95 to 2006. The Jackson Clarion Ledger noted that Baseball America had ranked Hayes among the top 25 high school players in the nation. And the San Francisco Giants selected Hayes with their fourth round pick 
in the June 1983 Amateur Draft. In the Pioneer Rookie League, he played both third base and outfield. Around that time, Hayes got married. He and his wife, Galinda, had three sons, Charles Jr., Tyree, and Cabrian. Yes, that Cabrian Hayes. Charles Jr. grew six foot four and 290 pounds and also preferred football over baseball. The two younger brothers both became pro ball players. Tyree was an eighth-round draft pick of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays in 2006. Cabrian, whom Galinda was expecting with during the 1996 World Series, was the first-round pick of the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2015. It took Charlie Hayes six seasons to climb the ladder to get to the majors. He wanted to give up baseball during the 1984 season come home to Hattiesburg and enroll in college, but his mother told him, quote, there are no quitters in this house. Hayes represented Fresno in California League's 1985 All-Star Game, but as he recalled, quote, the turning point came in 1987. I was sent back to AA after spending spring training with the AAA team. I thought then there were other things I could do and that it wasn't too late to go to college. I was doubting myself. Jack Mull, my manager, said, you're too hard on yourself. You're such a team player. Remember, sometimes... You have to be selfish. And my mother said, give it your best shot. Something good will happen and other good things will follow. Hayes had not shown much power during his first four pro seasons, hitting just 11 homers in total. But with Shreveport of the Texas League in 1987, though, he hit 14 homers and had 75 RBI while also breaking the 300 mark for the first time. He earned a promotion to AAA Phoenix in 1988 and had another good year, batting 307 with seven homers, 71 RBI though he played more outfield than third base that season. When rosters expanded in September 88, Hayes got his first call up with the Giants. His big league debut came in left field. Hayes got into six more games over the rest of the season, appearing twice more in left and once in right. After that, he played just once more as an outfielder in the majors for two innings in 1999. Hayes returned to AAA to start the 1989 season. The Giants continued to experiment with him as an outfielder. He was called up briefly in early May as Matt Williams was optioned to Phoenix. He appeared in three games at third base before being sent back. His life would change on June 18, 1989, as Hayes became part of a five-player trade with the Phillies that sent closer Steve Bedrock, Bedrosian, and Rick, Partner, Rick Parker to San Francisco. Philadelphia also received left-handed pitchers Terry Mulholland and Dennis Cook. Hall of Fame third baseman Mike Schmidt had retired near the end of May 1989, stating that he could no longer live up to the high standards he had set for himself as a player. Hayes got the job in large part because he was a true third baseman. Shortly after the promotion, Phillies general manager Lee Thomas remarked, quote, Charlie's been a good hitter at every level of the minors. If he can hit a little up here, he'll be our third baseman. Defensively, he's got soft hands and a better than average arm. So far, we've been very impressed. Indeed, Hayes started 79 of the Phillies' remaining games at third. His production with the bat was promising. Eight homers, 43 RBI, in 315 plate appearances while batting 258. Hayes made 11 errors in his first 23 games, including four in one game as the Phillies lost on July 15th. Yet he was unfazed. Quote, I heard some boos, he said, but my job is to play the best I can. Errors are part of the game. I was going hard, and it just happened. Hayes who trimmed down from 223 pounds to 202 over the winter, remained the regular third baseman for the Phillies in 1990. Again, he had 258, but his power totals were rather modest. 10 homers, 57 RBI, and 141 starts. He did, however, cut his errors down that season. One of them represented the only base runner that Terry Mulholland allowed in his no-hitter at Veteran Stadium on August 15th. In other words, Probably could have been a perfect game. Oddly enough, it was Rick Parker of the Giants, one of the players Hayes was traded for, who reached base as Hayes' throw pulled John Crook off the bag. Hayes atoned for it, however, by backhanding pinch hitter Gary Carter's liner to end the game. Looking back in 2015, Hayes said, quote, I loved Philly. It was a tough situation for me, being the guy who was kind of the heir apparent to Mike Schmidt. But one thing that Philadelphia taught me was about being tough, being determined, a blue-collar work ethic. End quote. He noted how that helped him in his work as a youth baseball coach. Quote, I instilled those things in all my kids. Always told them they were never any excuses. You just pick yourself up and you try to get better every day. End quote. Yankees obtained 
Hayes for the first time in February of 92. Hayes beat out Hensley Mullins at third base. Had a nice year for New York in 92, batting 257 with 18 homers, 66 RBI. He started 137 games at third and three times at first base, a position he played with some frequency later in his career. After the season ended, the Sporting News called him, quote, the most pleasant surprise of the season for the Yankees. He was dependable defensively and productive offensively. Nonetheless, the Yankees made Hayes available in the expansion draft that November, and Colorado selected him with the third overall pick. Yankees GM Gene Michael admitted, quote, we gambled. I'd hoped that they would take a younger player and Charlie would slip through, end quote. Shortly after that, though, however, New York signed Wade Boggs as a free agent. Poor Yankees. <laughs> you lose Charlie Hayes and then you just pick up Wade Boggs. All right. While Hayes expected to be a Yankee for the long term, at first he was devastated by the move, yet it became part of his ongoing learning experience in the majors. Quote, I grew up a lot that day, he said, but instead of feeling sorry for myself, I started thinking like a Rocky. I just try to make the best of that situation. What baseball does is this. No matter how good you are, there's no security. But I can control being mentally prepared to play. I can control giving 110%. Hayes' new team felt fortunate. The Rockies believed from day one of their existence that one of their best expansion draft pickups was third baseman Charlie Hayes, said Stat Inc.'s scouting report for 1994. Quote, they were not disappointed as Hayes, next to Andres Galarraga, was Colorado's most consistent player. He was everything Rockies hoped he'd be and more. Mile High Stadium, where the Rockies played their first two seasons, was a hitter's ballpark. It was particularly favorable to right-handed hitters like Galarraga, Dante Bichette, and Hayes, who posted the best offensive season of his career. He had a team-high 25 homers, 98 RBI, tied with Galarraga for tops on the club, and a 305 batting average in 157 games. He also led the National League with 45 doubles. His home away splits were notable, though. And as I've researched, Charlie Hayes is the answer to the trivia question, which player hit the most home runs at Mile High Stadium in a single season? That would be Charlie Hayes. He hit 17 at Mile High Stadium in 1993. Hayes remained the Rockies' starting third baseman in 1994. Perhaps the most noteworthy thing from that season was a visual thing. On June 25th, pitcher Solomon Torres of the Giants hit Hayes in the face with a pitch. It came right after Torres had opened the inning by hitting Galarraga on the left arm. Colorado manager Don Baylor had to restrain Hayes from charging the mound and a brawl almost erupted. Hayes suffered a broken cheekbone and left the game, but missed only two games after that. When he returned to action, he experimented with a couple of kinds of clear masks attached to his helmet. I'll actually attach a link so you can see what that picture looks like of what these clear masks were that Hayes ended up messing around with and, and seeing if it would work. It was not anything like the, the C-flap you commonly see players wear today. It was a little bit more archaic to say the least, but I'll attach that photo. So if you're listening to this, wherever you're listening to it on a podcast, go ahead and, and click on this. You can go ahead and find that link. Leave us a review as well while you're at it. But Hayes' power numbers dipped to 10 homers and 50 RBI during the strikes shortened season in 94. His $3 million salary was more than Colorado found palatable, and so they did not tender him a contract. The Rockies turned third base over to, that's right, Vinny Castilla, who gave them five big seasons in a row with the bat. While spring training in 95 was conducted with replacement players, the Giants expressed interest in signing Hayes as a first baseman. But when the strike ended in April of 95, Hayes returned to Philadelphia, which moved Dave Hollins to first base. Hayes was happier in Philly the second time around. Even so, the Phillies, who had star prospect Scott Rowland ready to take over at third base, had no interest in meeting Hayes' wish for a two-year contract. Thus, he became a free agent again. The Pirates signed him near the end of 1995. Pittsburgh was disappointing and began to turn over their roster towards the end of the summer of 96. On August 30th, the Yankees reobtained Hayes for a player to be named later. Wade Boggs, still New York's starting third baseman in 96, but the team wanted to platoon him. Manager Joe Torre said that Boggs was a bit tired and his bat was slow at times and that Hayes was added to provide some power. Boggs felt slighted but the depth proved valuable because he missed several games in September for the Yankees with back spasms. 
Quote, the team was a group of guys that came together, said Hayes in 2013. While there were a lot of superstars on that team, the biggest thing that Joe Torre got everybody to do was make sacrifices. I remember one game where I wasn't playing a lefty, and I thought, I should be playing against this lefty. I walked out on the bench, and I saw Daryl Strawberry on my left, Tim Raines on my right, and Tino Martinez behind me. And I said to myself, what could you be complaining about? These guys who have done way more than me in this game than you have, and they're on the bench. So from that day forward, I just approached every game like it was my last. The Yankees played 15 games in the 96 postseason, and Hayes appeared in 12 of them, starting six times. His best outing was in Game 4 of the World Series in Atlanta when he went 3-for-5 with an RBI. Three nights later at Yankee Stadium, Hayes entered Game 6 in the top of the seventh inning, replacing Boggs at third. He didn't handle any chances until pesky Mark Lemke came to the plate with two outs in the ninth, tying run on second base, and the go-ahead run on first. The count ran full, and Lemke popped John Wetland's next pitch towards the visitors' dugout. Hayes had a chance to make the play, but an Atlanta bat boy got in his way. Hayes got clear and continued his pursuit of the ball, but was out of reach as he tumbled into the dugout. Tim McCarver, calling the game for Fox TV, noted that interference could have been called. Had the Yankees lost that game in the series, that bat boy could have become just about as notorious as Cubs fan Steve Bartman did for his action in the 2003 playoffs. On the pitch after that, though, Lemke lifted another pop foul. This one stayed in play, and as it settled into Hayes' glove, the Yankees were champions of baseball for the first time in 18 years. In retrospect, Hayes offered another intriguing detail. He got hurt on Lemke's first foul. Quote, I think I broke my finger, and I didn't know it until after the game, he said. So it would have been very interesting to see what would have happened if that ball was hit on the ground, and I would have had to have thrown it to first base. Whatever happened to that ball, it and the glove Hayes used for that night eventually sold at an auction in 2014. MLB was about to add two more franchises in 1998 with Arizona and Tampa Bay, and the possibility arose that Hayes could be chosen for the second time in an expansion draft. But before that, the Yankees sent him and some cash back to his original organization, the Giants. Meanwhile, during 98-99 with San Francisco, he backed up Bill Miller at third base and J.T. Snow at first. In 99, he became a free agent again where the Mets signed him. In January of 2000, in March, he received troubling news that his beloved mother had been diagnosed with breast cancer. Hayes experienced heart irregularities and cited the emotional stress, but an EKG showed he was okay. Mets actually released Hayes not too long after that on March 20th, but two days later, the Brewers picked him up. And he spent the 2000 season as a reserve corner infielder. Entering free agency once again, Hayes signed with the Houston Astros in January of 2001. He made the team but had to leave on April 27th to be with his ailing mother in her final days. The Astros placed him on the restricted list, which enabled them to call for a replacement during his time of bereavement. Hayes was activated on May 8th, and serving mainly as a pinch hitter, the veteran got into 31 more games for Houston. He hit 200 no homers, four RBI, and was released on July 29th. Thereupon, he retired. Hayes then got into coaching youth baseball in the Houston area. Two former pros had a baseball school called Home Plate Incorporated in the Woodlands, a community in the Houston area. You may recognize that town. Yeah, it's called The Woodlands. That's where catching prospect Drew Romo is actually from. Well, they, they sold their school in 2002 and started a bigger facility. Hayes was one of those instructors, along with his good friend and former teammate with the Phillies, Ron Jones. Jones approached Hayes in 2005 about starting their own baseball school. Initially, Hayes was a bit reluctant to get involved, but the tight bond between the two men convinced him to go ahead. They opened the Big League Baseball Academy in Tomball, Texas, just outside of Houston. They worked together until Jones died suddenly at home in June 2006. Hayes could not bring himself to go back to the academy for months. He initially wanted to close it down after the loss of his best friend, yet he heard from his wife that because Jones talked him into doing it, he should keep it open, which it still is. If you visit the Big League Baseball Academy site, you can see tons of photos of Charlie in action. His son, Tyree Hayes, pitched through 2011 in the minors with the Tampa Bay and Cincinnati organizations. He played independent baseball in the Frontier League in 2012 before retiring as a professional. His son, Cabrian Hayes, finished sixth in the National League Rookie of the Year Award voting in 2020, playing 
Charlie's position of third base and follow that up with an injury-plagued 2021 season where he still managed to play stellar defense, so much so that he led all third basemen in defensive run saves despite missing 66 games. Charlie Hayes returned to pro ball in 2017 as a bench coach for the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs in AAA International League and said, quote, the only difference is the kids here are older than the ones at my academy. I'm still teaching kids the fundamentals of the game, stuff I learned along the way. He most recently served as the rookie ball coach for the Gulf Coast League Phillies in 2018. Well, as I said earlier, please let me know how you like this segment. Let me know what players you would like for me to feature, too. Some of your favorite Rockies, some of your favorite Hall of Famers or lesser-known Hall of Famers. I've got a, a big old list that I'm working on so I can bring a couple of these to you per week and some interesting folks that you may not have even known played baseball professionally for a period of time. Let's let's have some fun while we do this. I appreciate you. We've got a good set of guests coming on again this week. We got the holidays coming up. Shoot, this is this has been a blast. Here we're we're over an hour at this point and it's a lockout and people are struggling for content, but you guys are making this happen. You guys are fueling my passion. You fueled today's show with the mailbag. So again, Matt, Zach, JD, Nathan, big shout out to you. I want to be saying some more names next time we do a mailbag. Like I said, members, you know, you get a bigger beer at the bar. You get access to the discord where you can ask me questions now. And I'll maybe I'll answer them in a couple weeks when we do the next mailbag. But nevertheless, please reach out. Even if you're not a member, I'm at Patrick D. Lyons on Twitter. Our main account is at DNVR underscore Rockies. You can email me, Patrick, at the DNVR. I love hearing from members and non-members alike. So for DNVR Sports, I'm Patrick Lyons. Thanks for tuning in to the DNVR Rockies podcast. The folks at Green Mountain Dental Group deserve to take some credit for those smiling Colorado sports fans, especially our DNVR listeners who switched to Green Mountain Dental Group over the years to make them their permanent family dentist. They're the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area, and they are extreme Colorado sports fans, just like all of us. If you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, you're going to receive a free Sonicare toothbrush from Green Mountain Dental Group, only 15 minutes from downtown Denver.